A student's mental health can affect their education, social life, and emotional well-being. To help you identify the signs and find resources to support your child's mental health, visit k12.com safety. In 2019, more than one in three high school students reported experiencing persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. That's a 40% increase since 2009. And as a result of the pandemic, nearly three in four students reported experiencing increased stress and anxiety. With so many kids struggling today, I'm wondering what more we can do to ensure they get the help they need. How can we learn to spot the signs of depression and intervene in positive ways? What systems can we put in place to provide students with a safe place to turn? And how can we help our schools be more helpful and supportive when it comes to managing mental health? This is what I want to know. And today I'm joined by Allison Malman to find out. Allison Malman is the founder and executive director of Active Minds, an organization devoted to supporting mental health awareness and education for students. Allison formed the organization in 2003 as a 21-year-old following the suicide of her brother and only sibling, Brian. Wanting to end the silence that caused her brother to suffer alone, Allison created a group at the University of Pennsylvania to promote open dialogue around mental health. Since then, Active Minds has grown into the country's foremost mental health organization for students and young adults. With award-winning programs and a vibrant network of chapters located in more than 600 colleges, universities, and high schools nationwide. Allison is with us today to discuss what more we can do as parents and educators to help kids overcome the challenges they face. Allison, welcome to the show. Well, I really appreciate the chance to, to be with you here and have the conversation. So uh, I, I do want to talk to you about this whole issue of mental health. Let's talk about the stresses of young people. I think more than when I was younger, there's a deep recognition that the stresses and anxiety associated with being uh, under the age of 25, let's say, or 21, are more profound than ever. And uh, why is that? You know, we, we can talk all day about how the world has changed and the environment that young adults are in. I think also there's just a lot more attention being paid to the stresses of being young. And so it's a little bit of, you know, what's the chicken and what's the egg in some in good ways we're talking about this. And it also highlights so much of the pressure. But what we know is that our youth and our young adults are feeling external pressure. They're seeing events out in the world that they don't have control over uh, or that they see their families involved in or friends involved in. Um, they themselves are trying to figure out who they are. Their brain is developing, trying to figure out what they love and what they're supposed to love. And, and you know, we're, we're teaching everybody that you find your passion and you do your passion in life. Well, how at 18 or 21 or whatnot are you supposed to know what your passion is? And then how are you supposed to pay for it? And, you know, all of the, the youth and young adults who are experiencing um, houselessness or um, food insecurity, uh, inability to be able to kind of go to school in the way they need because they're taking care of their families as it relates to COVID. 
And then we've got social media, um, that social media and can, can be the, the blessing and the curse. Um, we, we talk often about the pain that social media can bring because youth and young adults are, are constantly on their phones or they're comparing themselves to the people around them. There's a lot of advantage of social media too, I wanna say, because we're giving youth and young adults a platform to, to share about their experiences and to talk about their struggles in a way that back when I was a kid, it was only you know writing in your diary. That was the only way you could you know, get out any of your thoughts. So um, we've, we've added a lot to the lives and the experiences of youth and young adults, and we just expect them to be able to figure out how to adjust to all of it and live the life that we lived with all of these additional external factors that, um, that are at play right now. You know, you mentioned the blessing and curse of social media or the internet. You know, my two-year-old can, grandkids can swipe, you know, the phone. And um, I think years ago, young people were, were allowed to slowly develop. And I've had neuropsychiatrists on the show talk about the fact that the, the human development of the brain is all accelerated now, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. Right. It, it is. And I have young kids myself and I witness it myself too. And, and I think in some way we want them to be living the world that we knew. And we, we think about, you know, my, my five-year-old knows technology as well as I do at this stage. And, um, and that's normal for her. And part of it is we have to allow that to be normal. But it also, we also have to say, we need to put that away and now it's time to go out and ride a bike. And so even if it feels archaic or maybe it feels like I'm trying to relive my youth, no, we need to help recognize that their reality right now is different from what our reality was. How is this play itself out in academic settings? Because we know there's the, the family setting, there's a social setting with friends, but then there's also school, which where a lot of these things all come together. And academically, children who, many children who are going through challenges, uh, it could impact them. But also many children who are going through challenges, uh, their academics could be fine because that's their one escape. I mean, talk to me about the convergence of these uh, stressful, depression-laden uh, realities for many of our young people how the academic setting comes into play. One of the things that we have to remember is COVID has disrupted that so hugely. Whereas again, you know, thinking back to when I was younger, middle school and high school was the time that I was supposed to hate my parents. And I was supposed to be out with my friends and, you know, figuring out who I was and, and create those boundaries for myself. Well, in the past couple of years, we've had teenagers who have been forced to be at home, separated from friends, separated from that social scene, and that's been extraordinarily difficult. And I don't think we've given enough credit to the next generation, to our youth and young adults who have dealt with this. And you know, as a mother of young kids, there's been a lot of focus on people like me dealing with working and young kids, and, and I'll take that, right? Like, I'm, I'm gonna own that. But we, we kind of forget those 13 to 18-year-olds who, who have, had their what is supposed to be a natural part of their growth and development ripped away from them because they weren't able to physically go to school or maybe they've started up again but they're wearing masks and so they're not able to express themselves in the, the way they want or whatever it may be or you know graduation was torn from them or plays are being torn from them because kids are sick with covid whatever it may be so there's um this is it's huge and i think the social scene of school School is not just about academics, and you can see that in high school, you can see that in college. It's that when somebody is their best selves, 
they will do their best academically. But this is about a lot more than just their academic success. And for the past couple of years, the the youth and young adults in our in our our lives have really had to bear a burden that none of the rest of us will ever understand. Um, and we have to give them credit for that. And I don't know that we've done enough of that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And they've seen something we've never seen or never had to see. Um, I, I do want to get to active minds, but and and this is probably a good segue. You talked about um, the fact that you know years ago, uh, you know if you you if you had some challenges, you wrote it in your diary. If you you know, uh, and but even back then, you didn't want anyone else to read your diary, and 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 that kind of mindset carries over to today. And I know this is part of the reason why you founded Active Minds is that there's this unwillingness to discuss mental health generally, and this unwillingness to to you know unleash your own uh, challenges to other people. Uh, pe- many young people are deathly afraid of that. Now, as we mentioned, there's more attention on this change, but but why is that? Why is that? Is there too much vulnerability associated with uh, unleashing and unburdening those things that trouble you uh, from a mental point of view? With mental health, we don't talk about these issues until there is a problem. So there is no way to know, hey, I'm not doing okay right now. And I can see that in myself or or myself or my friends are seeing it in me. And I know who to go talk to, or I feel comfortable reaching out for help. No, we we don't talk about mental health in our society right now until there is a crisis. And so the problem becomes, before crisis, we're all struggling ourselves, thinking that we're the only ones struggling, or thinking that everybody else is, you know, having the time of their lives, and and there's something wrong with us. And and it finally gets to a point where we are unable to function, and that's when we're reaching out for help. And so yes, it's a little bit about being too vulnerable, but I, th- but I think that's because we've defined uh, mental health crisis or mental illness or mental health it, it just too far down the, the pike. If we can define it as, you know, we don't all have mental illness, but we all have mental health. So let's talk about our mental health all the time and let's help people recognize when what you're going through is kind of a normal, this is normal pressure of exams, for instance, or normal pressure of the first week of COVID. Um, and then when it's like this, this, is not okay, and, and and more than anything, you deserve to feel better than this, and you deserve to get help for what you're going through. Let's talk about it, and and if we can open up that conversation and we can change that culture and those social norms, then it's not going to be about a like, I'm being vulnerable by sharing, and I'm I'm being strong by keeping it inside. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Allison, and uh, help set the stage for the founding of Active Minds. And I know, as tough as it is, this the founding came because the your brother and his suicide, your only sibling. I'm always interested how people turn tragedy into attempted triumph to help others. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show. Uh, What from that experience turned into action and how, and why did you choose this vehicle? Yes. So my brother and I grew up outside of DC. We went to the you know great public school system in in Maryland. Brian's four years older than me, and so I was always kind of you know following in his path. He got into his top choice college, um, and when he was in college, he started you know doing the things that all young adults do. He joined a bunch of you know uh, extracurricular activities, figured out his major, 
Dean's List student, all of those things. Um, and he ended up um, coming home from after the recommendation of a therapist at his school in November of his senior year at, he was at Columbia in New York. And um, he came home for under her recommendation and ended up kind of staying at home because we uncovered that Brian was really struggling with his mental health. Um, he was at home for a year and a half with intensive therapy and treatment. My mom is a clinical social worker. Again, we, we come from the most um, privileged background possible uh, for somebody to get the help that they, that they need and they deserve. Um, but Brian ended up taking his life about a year and a half after he took um, he came home from Columbia initially, which was my freshman year of college when he died. And, um, you know, I started, I started thinking mostly about when, when, I'm go when I was going through the grieving and understanding more about what had happened, this idea that Brian, what we learned was that Brian started struggling with his mental health actually in his freshman year of college, but didn't tell anybody until his senior year. I dove into research and I learned that the age of onset of almost every mental health issue is the high school and college age, and, and, that, and that suicide is the second leading cause of death for college students. And I was floored because I was a college student having to dive into research myself to learn all of this. Nobody had taught me about mental health. Nobody had taught me about suicide, um, even though this was the thing that was impacting me and my peers the most. And so that, that's really where it started. And, um, you know, so it feels, I, I, I often get credit for kind of turning something into an action. And, and I guess technically that's what it was, but it's more of this desire of this needs to change. This was not okay. And I'm miserably sad to be missing my brother and to be an only child now. And more than anything, I'm miserably sad that he had to go through this. And so this can't happen to other people. This can't happen to other families. And this can't happen to other Brian's out there. So that's what, what really caused me to start Active Minds, this, this idea of we need to change the culture around mental health. We need to change these social norms. We need to get people talking about this so that people like Brian know that they're not alone. It's not their fault, how prevalent the issues are. Or like Brian's friends, know what the, the signs and symptoms of mental health struggles are and know what to say to people when they're struggling. I think the one other piece that... Um, has been really meaningful to me in my journey was that right after Brian died, I saw how my friends and his friends, so I was 18 when he died and he was 22. So other 18 and 22 year olds, I saw how they responded to his death and, and how different that was from my parents and grandparents' generation. And I saw my 18 year old friends sitting in silence with me and then you know breaking the silence and saying, Allison, we don't know what you're going through, but we really want to help. How can we help you? They were willing, they were wanting, they had just never been given the words to use. And the stigma was still so strong in my parents and grandparents' generations that they didn't necessarily get that support. They, they had friends and family who didn't know what to say, so they didn't say anything. Um, you know, not vindictively, but just without, without um, having a sense of like, it's okay for me to be vulnerable. And so I saw not only that the world needed to change, but that it could change and it would change if we gave this next generation the opportunity to be that change. You started at the University of Pennsylvania. Now you're in over 600 college campuses, high schools, and, and, and sort of the, the seeds of the approach of your company is to aggressively ferret out these conversations and talk about mental health, which I think is a beautiful thing. Have you noticed, because um, the colleges seem to do this better, 
But have you noticed, isn't it true, that the challenges seem to be getting young for kids younger and younger? Yeah, it's hard to know for sure, right? Like that's where the research is coming in and none of us actually know this is why this is happening. Um, I do think, to be very honest, I do think a lot of these thoughts were happening 20 years ago, but but kids weren't talking about it. So so, and that's the piece of it is we don't we don't really know, but it is definitely the case that um, these issues don't start in college. These issues don't start in high school. And there's an opportunity for us to start talking about resilience and start talking about having bad days and and hard feelings when kids are in kindergarten and and before. And so these are issues that we need to address in an age appropriate way from the get go. But it is definitely the case that um, there are an elementary school students who are struggling mightily with their mental health. So I have one last question. That's a follow up on this point, and that is that for that reason, uh, the, the the fact that colleges are more adept at addressing these issues because historically they sort of uh, propped up publicly in, in, in college settings, uh, this is what I really want to know. What advice would you give to K-12 administrators and teachers on the best way to address and help kids who have mental challenges, um, particularly in light of the fact that there's a growing number of these kids that are existing in the K-12 space? So number one, I would say this is not just about those, those kids who, are, who we know are struggling with their mental health. This is about supporting mental health at the school as a whole. So this is about having mental health programming throughout the year so that at the moment a kid does start struggling or the moment a friend starts noticing something in their friend, they know this is something we talk about here at this school, or they've learned the signs, or they start paying attention to what's going on. This is not just about having one program at one time and trying to catch everybody who's falling through, right? This is, this is a holistic approach, a public health approach that we have to take to mental health. But number two, we have to recognize that our students are not going to be successful academically unless they are well emotionally. And so we have to start talking about mental health as it relates to food security and attachments at home and um, support systems at home and housing security, as well as biological factors. It's, are there family members with histories of, of alcohol use or um, bipolar disorder or whatnot? All of that is going to come to a head for youth and young adults. We have to normalize for them that struggling is is okay, um, but also that they don't need to struggle alone, that we are, we are here for support and seeking help is a sign of strength. So for our K-12 to engage students in programming, bring students along to say, hey, these are the programs we need here at the school. We need to involve curriculum, peer-to-peer -peer curriculum, so that students can teach other students about mental health and can have that open conversation. Because just like Brian needed to hear it from his friend, you better believe that 15-year-olds need to hear it from other 15-year-olds. Or even better, a freshman needs to hear it from a sophomore, right? This idea that I can still be okay next year, even if I'm struggling. So that peer-to-peer -peer interaction is critical in the K-12 system. And even, you know, one of the questions you raised earlier was, um, around um, the you know the crisis and, and how far um, people are are um, struggling, we need to create an environment where our our youth are getting the help they need as soon as they need it. And so that's about the early identification, the early intervention, and also the promotion of positive mental health. We talk about this even when somebody isn't struggling, because 
we all struggle, right? Like we may not have diagnosable mental illnesses, but we all struggle. And in that struggle, you deserve to get help and support. And when we get that help and support, especially for youth and young adults, it doesn't have to get to a point where people are falling through the cracks or, or struggling with really, really severe issues. The incomparable Allison Malman, initials AM, Active Minds. Thank you for joining us on What I Want to Know. Such a, such a pleasure to be here. Thank you again so much for inviting me along. Thanks for joining What I Want to Know. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to write a review, too. Explore other episodes and dive into our discussions on the future of education. I also encourage you to join the conversation and let me know what you want to know using hashtag WIWTK on social media. That's hashtag WIWTK on social media. For more information on Stride, visit stridelearning.com. I'm your host, Kevin P. Chavis. Thank you for joining What I Want to Know.